UpToDate wants to know what you're talking about with family and friends. You can text UTD to 816-601-4777 to tell us. Again, 816-601-4777. Just about every four years, we get a whole extra day, known as a leap day, added to the calendar in the form of February 29th. There's a lot of math behind why we tack on this extra day, and it can get complicated, which is why we asked Dr. Daniel McIntosh, a professor of physics and astronomy at UMKC's School of Science and Engineering, to explain how leap days work. Dr. McIntosh, great to have you on the show. Good morning. Thank you, Steve. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you. And I've heard the reason we have leap years is because it actually takes more than 365 days for the Earth to orbit the sun. Do I have that right? That is correct. Uh, to be specific and technical, it takes a little more, a little less than 365 and a quarter days to go around the sun. And that begins to explain why we have to add an extra day to February about every four years. Do I have that right as well? That is correct. Why every four? So, well, four times a quarter gives us one extra day. So that's the simple way to think about it. And then there's a little bit more complication. So we have a leap day every year, except uh, every 100 years, um, every three of every 400 years. So 1700, 1800, and 1900, there was no leap year, uh, a leap day February 29th on, on those years. But in 2000, there was a February 29th. Yeah. So why ahead. is that? Yeah. That's because the actual number is 365.2425 days, which is just a little bit less than a quarter on top of that 365. Why does all this happen in February? Ah, that is a good question. I actually don't know the answer to that. So this is basically about needing to make up for a mismatch between the calendar year and the Earth's orbit, right? Yeah, it's all about our trip around the sun, our orbit around the sun. Ancient people knew about this for a long time. Many different societies had uh, very complicated calendars having to do with the moon and the sun and the, the different seasons that make sense because of growing crops and so forth. And basically, the beginning of the calendar we use right now, which is called the Julian cal calendar, was founded by Julius Caesar, the emperor of Rome at that time. Mm -hmm. And he found the Egyptians who had a calendar that was basically built around the sun in our in our 365-day trip around the sun to be superior to all the other ones. And so on January 1st of 45 BCE, he created the Julian calendar that we use all the way to today. And that calendar not only was 365 days, but included the leap day. But, so why it happens February, I'm not sure, but that was the uh, initiation of our calendar with a leap day. So do we know then exactly how long leap years have been practiced? Well, at least since 45 BCE, so a little more than okay. 2,000 years. Before that, there was complicated corrections where they, they would add months to the calendar every once in a while to try to make up for ah. uh, this quarter of a day. So what would happen if we didn't have leap years? So we would slowly things. So so I guess the best way to explain this is where the last little change to our calendar happened, which is around 1600. So by the 1500s, scholars were aware that the Julian calendar was not quite working because of that extra little difference between a quarter and 0.2425. And so things were kind of slipping with the, the leap day every year and not having any kind of a break because we're trying to account for a quarter day, but there's really a 0.2425 days. And this is a problem for the Catholic Church, because basically by 1600, so 1600 years after uh, Julius Caesar brought about the new calendar, 
where Easter landed was starting to slip from its traditional place, and that was a problem. So Easter is supposed to be the first Sunday after the first moon following the vernal equinox. <laughs> and by 1600, it had slipped by 10 days. And so they're the ones who came up with the idea, let's not have a leap day every 100 years except every 400 years. And so 1700, no leap day, uh, 1800, no leap day, 1900, no leap day. But then it's okay to add a leap day in 2000. So that's our new system. Uh, there's one more correction that we will have to worry about, but we won't have to worry about that for about 3,000 years to make up for the little <laughs> tiny last bit of a fraction of a day. This is a little more complicated than a lot of people might have thought. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How do you plan to spend your extra day? Oh, I have a lot of work on my plate, unfortunately. <laughs> well, I guess it's good. So we're working on a proposal and I have a couple of classes to teach. And so the extra day helps. There you go. Well, that was Daniel McIntosh. He's a professor of physics and astronomy uh, at the UMKC a School of Science and Engineering. Dr. McIntosh, thanks so much. Thank you, Steve. Now that we've had a little refresher on why leap years are a thing, it's time to hear from some Kansas Cityans born on February 29th. Here's listener Becky Jansen explaining how she plans to spend her special leap year birthday. My name is Becky Jansen. I'm from Lawrence, Kansas, and I was born on Leap Day, February 29th, back in the 1950s. For my Leap Day birthday this year, I celebrated a little early with family and friends on Sunday afternoon. Since I'm turning 18 leap years today, my kids had decided to throw a retro senior prom birthday party for me. The party started at 2.29 p.m. Most of my guests dressed up in fancy prom clothes, one friend even wore a tuxedo. We had a vase of pink carnations and a 1950s-style maraschino cherry cake and some pink champagne. Then we listened to some doo-wop and other great 50s and 60s music. So when do I celebrate in non-leap years? I'm a strict Februarian. I tell folks they can wish me a happy birthday on the last day of February, no matter what year it is. Well, that was KCUR listener Becky Jansen, and by all means, wishing her a very happy birthday today. Uh, Keith Marquardt and Sydney Siemens were also born on the 29th, and they've taken some time to be with us today. Hello to you both, and happy, happy birthday. Thank you. <laughs> Great Thank to have you guys here. Max Sheffield is a parent of a Leap Baby born in 2020, and they have a lot of insight when it comes to having a little Leapling. Max, thanks so much for taking some time, and happy birthday to your son as well, Byron. Thank you so much. Okay, so let's start with the basics here. I've heard those who are born on February 29th are called leaplings. Sydney, Kurt, do you identify as a leapling? Is that what you are? I do. Do you? Yeah. Kurt? Well, I identify as a leapling, but I've never been called a leapling before. It's never happened before. <laughs> no. This is the first thing. Yes. That's right here. You're wearing your February 29th birthday, the birthday of champions you have on your t-shirt here today. Yes, I wear it. Yeah. Seldom, once every four years, so it stays in good condition. <laughs> well, Max, your son Byron is only four, so he's still very young. Does he know much about being a leapling? I don't think so, just because this is the first time there's actually going to be, you know, he obviously didn't remember the day he was born. And of course, I so I bought his birthday cake, and uh, yesterday he was demanding that he eats it. And I was thinking to myself, I'm like, well, on every other year, we would be celebrating on the 28th. So I'm like, okay, you get a slice. <laughs> we'll celebrate it this again. But yeah, he doesn't really, I think, understood. Maybe next time, you know, 2028, he'll be able to understand what it what it means. There you go. So. Well, Sydney, you turned 20 today or five in leap years. And which number do you prefer? I like five. 
<laughs> five. Yeah. Because it's unique. It's unique. And aside from being on the radio, how are you going to celebrate today? Um, I plan to celebrate with friends. I have my best friend next to me. We're going to go grab lunch at Billy's, and then tomorrow we're going to go out to dinner with some other friends. And that's Julia Caprose, who's yes. on our staff at Rue News yes, up on the hill. I, I should point out that you're one of my students up there, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And Kurt, you were born on February 29th in 1956. If I have the math right, you're 17 in leap years today. How's that feel to you? It feels great. Uh, I've always been looking forward to actually the 16th birthday because when I was young, uh, my friends, oh, you won't even get to drive until you're 64 <laughs> years old. So uh, that was one of the things that I was looking forward to. Now, 17 is kind of an in-between, and uh, I heard the previous guest talk about her big party on her 18th. I mm -hmm. think I'll have a big party because my uh, family has been wonderful over the years, and I've had great parties every time. That's so. great. And do you, do you celebrate every year or just every four years? Oh, just every four years. Just every – so it's got to be a really big party. Oh, and, and they always have been. Yeah. Mm. Well, you know, I wish it wouldn't be a bad thing to be 17 again, but only knowing what we know now, that would be kind of an incredible thing, wouldn't it? It would be great, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you're headed to St. Louis to celebrate with a big group of lifelong friends. Tell us a little more about what your plans are. I went to school in Washington, Missouri, and I have a bunch of friends that still live in the St. Louis area from high school, and they get together uh, the last Thursday of every month to celebrate our group's birthday in that month. And uh, this month, obviously, the last Thursday is the 29th, so I'm uh, headed in for the uh, big birthday party. Now, I've also had several dinners before today, and I'm going to have a couple more over the weekend, so... Yeah. Well, Sid, I'm just guessing that just maybe birthdays feel a little extra special when it's actually a leap year. Yeah. Am I guessing right? Yeah. Why? They do. Why is that? I mean, it's special. It only comes every four years. So, yeah. of course, you have to celebrate even extra. And, and do you gear up a little more specially on a leap year for a leap year birthday than you would otherwise? Um, I'd like to say I do, but I'm kind of a last minute planner. So I kind of planned all these things last minute. Well, Max, you're nodding your head. You're a, la a last minute planner too. <laughs> oh yeah. I just, uh, so, um, I co-parent my, my son. So it was kind of like up in the air. We actually, in our parenting plan, we had to, I had to explain to the attorneys, we need special rules on leap years. And because she's never dealt with that before. She's like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, his dad celebrates March 1st. I'm like one of those other listeners. I'm strict last day of February type of person to mm -hmm. celebrate it. Of course, he's going to have a say as he gets older, but like that's how. So it's always kind of worked out before, but it was kind of like, okay, so I get him in the evening, you get him in the morning. So it's kind of like, okay, what do I do? And, you know, so we're probably still going to celebrate on the weekend too, I guess. Yeah. I, I feel better now knowing that other, you know, older leaplings. Uh, like have like several birthdays because that's what it feels like to me. I'm like, we do one on 28th. We do one on the 1st. We'll do one on the weekend. We'll <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's a little extra then. Yeah. Not a bad thing. Yeah. It's a whole week affair, I guess. <laughs> well, so Kurt, you just said that you just celebrate every four years. So in the non-leap year years, what, what do you do? I mean, do you do anything to commemorate your birthday? Yes. It, on the 28th. My on mom, the 28th. My mom... Uh, started the tradition, I guess, to keep it in the month, like everybody says. So we have, you know, a regular type small birthday 
uh, activities as opposed to the, the big bash parties. Yeah, but there are strict Februarians, I, I've been told, who only would celebrate every four years. Have you come across people like that? I can see maybe why they would do that if they would try to, you know, live in the lower number. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. If they're really going to buy off on that thinking, right? And right. Go forward. Yeah. Um, how do you celebrate the non on the non leap year birthday, Sid? What do you do? Um, typically, I celebrate it on March first because my thinking was, well, whatever days after the twenty eighth, kind of thing. But now that I'm thinking about it, I think it would be nice to always celebrate it in February on the twenty eighth. Well, I'm thinking you should celebrate on the twenty eighth yeah. and the first, exactly, and just like extend this because exactly. you're a special person, given the fact you're a leap year baby. <laughs> yeah, there, you have some right, I think, and some privilege to do that. Yeah. We should. We should talk to your friend Julia to get her involved, yeah. get her on board with that kind of thing. <laughs> Max, you're you're clearly on board with that already. Yeah, like it's just like you said. You know, it's only every every four years, and it's kind of like because it's a floating day, you can kind of do. You know, you have freedom. Yeah. I think in that a little bit. You know, yeah. versus you know me, I'm born on a day that's there on the calendar every year. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah. So you've described Max Byron as something of a miracle baby. How come? Why why have you used that phrase? Yeah. So I was told in my mid-20s that due to some of my chronic health conditions that it wasn't that I could never get pregnant, but it would take a lot of like medical intervention. And then um, when I was married, you know, there were some health conditions on his dad's side. So we just kind of were like, I guess children aren't in the cards for us. And we just kind of went through, you know, being married for a few years like that. And um, I found out I was pregnant. And, you know, again, I was not expecting that to even be possible. Mm. And then he was due on March 2nd, 2020. And we, me and um, his dad looked at each other. I'm like, wouldn't it be interesting if he ended up being born on leap day? And it was not likely. So just so people who, you know, have never had kids before, the first kid usually goes past the due date. But of course, you know, he, I even showed up to the hospital on the 28th thinking I might give birth on the 28th. But he held on. I didn't even like my water didn't even break till 1.30 a.m. the 29th because he was like, I'm going to come on the 29th. <laughs> and, and, and were you excited about that idea? I was. I, I hope I hope when he's older, he doesn't like it. You know, it sounds like, he, you know, you're proud of it. And I think that's a good thing. But part of me is like, is he going to resent the fact that he doesn't get a birthday until every four years? But, you know, so it, it'll be interesting to see how he grows up and begins to identify with that but i was excited about it so yeah. how did your teachers deal with this when you were you were a kid kurt was that how did they commemorate this were you kind of special because you were a leap year kid well steve one of the th- great things in my life was being born on the 29th mm-hmm. the uh, people are always very magnanimous in their greetings and their well wishes um when mail was still a thing, uh, one year I got over 140 birthday cards. Really? And I hear from people that every four years, you know, the only time I ever hear from them, mm-hmm. which is fine. I mean, it's, they're friends of mine, but not, you know, hang, out, hang around friends. And it's great to hear from everybody all the time. Sid, were you kind of a special kid because you were a leap year baby? I'd say so. Um, one thing that I thought was pretty cool was when I was four, I was on the Casey star for being a little leapling at Kansas city. Um, but other than that, I think for the most part, a lot of people were just confused. Like, what is this? Like, what is, (laughs) what is the point of this? And I'm like, yeah, I get it. I get it. But I'd say it was somewhat special because it's every four years and people are like, well, that's kind of cool. Once they realize kind of what's happening. 
Uh, Kurt, one thing I've heard over, over the years is that being born on a, a leap day can make paperwork a headache at times. Have you encountered this at the DMV or wherever, this complication over the fact you're a leap year kid? Uh, yes, I have. Because uh, a lot of times, especially now that it's uh, computerized and you fill in and you go to February, and uh, some of the programs only go to 28. Oh. So you can't even put in 29. What do you do then? Customer service. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, also, uh, if you have a, an expiration on a birth date and it comes in a year that's not a leap year, then oh. it's not on your birthday. Like normally, driver's license would expire on your birthday. Well, mine expires, you know, March 1st instead. It's just an example, not a real. But sometimes hindrance. you're saying it can raise some questions and be something of a hassle. Oh, yes. Well, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sid, you're nodding your head. Yeah. How so? I mean, every time I'm on like a website filling out forms or like filling in my birthday or just different things like that, I always have to go into the little chat support and be like, uh, my birthday is this day. And they're like, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. So, yeah. <laughs> Too bad you were born it, on that weird I day. I know. It, there's yeah. always a problem somewhere when it comes to it. But you know it's coming. You're going to have to fill in this little square and you're thinking, ah, oh, it's February 29th. Yeah. Show up yeah. Some, sometimes I'm like, do I just do the 28th to make their lives easier? Yeah. So. You know, over time, Kurt, do you think there's been more awareness that's grown up around the idea of leaplings and these very special challenges that you folks uh, encounter? I think uh, some people have because in the programs that I mentioned earlier, sometimes when you scroll down and you put in your year of birth, it'll add a 29. So some people are far enough ahead that they do have that, but you know other people don't. So it's yeah. working its way through, but it's probably not all the way done yet. Do you, and do you think more awareness has come along? or is, Are people making it easier for the, the folks like Sid Siemens in the world to have this special day? I mean, possibly. I, I think I'll, I'll agree with you Yeah. Um, that some websites I come across, they have the 29th when you scroll to a leap year. Yeah. But some websites are, are lacking on that end. So. Yeah. Well, Max, tell me, what's the best part of having a child born on this leap day? What's your sense? Uh, I kind of said it a little bit before, but I think it really boils down to kind of having that freedom. Like last year, so he, uh, my youngest half-brother is born on Groundhog's Day. So um, knowing that, you know, my kiddo's birthday is kind of up for grabs, you know, in the non-leap years, we went to Florida and we kind of did something in the middle of the month because his, his uncle's born on February 2nd and he's born the end of February. Mm. So we just kind of did something in the middle of the month. So just kind of having that freedom of like, okay, we'll go out of town or we'll do this or we'll right. do that. So I think that, and you know, he was obviously to me, he's always going to be my special kid, but like now I'm like, this is, he's verifiably special, unbiased <laughs> because of his birthday. You know, like I, you know, I only had a small hand in that, you know, so. Kurt, what's the best thing about being a leap year kid for you? Um, the extra attention you get every four years. Yeah. Now, there is one thing, though. You don't have a golden birthday because when you turn 29, there's no 29th that year. <laughs> so you that turn 28 true. on the 29th, and then when you're 29, it, you turn it on the 28th. <laughs> I think I sort of follow that. And I think, I think you just confused every listener listening right now. You know, Sid, what's the most uh, special thing about being a leap year kid for you? I think I'd kind of have to agree with Kurt. I mean, I love getting the sweet messages from friends, family, especially friends that I only talk to maybe once every two months, so yeah. it's just nice to hear from them. Oh, good deal. Well, happy birthday to Byron. Happy birthday to you guys uh, on this very special day. Kurt Marquardt, Sidney Siemens, and Max Sheffield talking about uh, the birthday of uh, 
uh, their son, Byron. Thank you again for coming in today. Appreciate Thank it, you, guys. Steve. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Steve. Thank you. We'll be right back. We all want to protect our health, but even the thought of implementing major lifestyle changes can be exhausting. That's why the University of Kansas's Alzheimer Disease Research Center has the LEAP program. LEAP stands for Lifestyle Empowerment for Alzheimer's Prevention, and it offers practical strategies to protect brain health while reducing the risk of Alzheimer's disease. And yes, we're talking about a program named LEAP on this very special LEAP Day. Rachel Sandoval is a registered dietitian uh, nutritionist and the LEAP program manager. She's here to tell us more about this free preventative program. Rachel, good to have you. Good morning. Happy LEAP Day to you. Happy LEAP Day. Thanks for having me. So when it comes to Alzheimer's prevention, what are the most important things to know for reducing your own risk and that of your loved ones? Yeah, so we recommend focusing on six primary areas. Those are physical activity, exercise, nutrition, sleep, stress management and mental health, and then cognitive engagement and social engagement. Uh, We lumped some of those together. I know it sounded like more than six. (laughs) And why do you focus on those six? Those are the areas that have the most research on how they can help our brain health and how they can um, reduce our risk. In some cases, they can also help to slow cognitive decline um, if we already have memory changes, if we already have early stages of Alzheimer's or dementia. So a lot of great benefits. The two areas that have the most research are exercise and nutrition, but we really uh, do believe that all six of these are impactful. Hmm. We know that there's currently no cure for Alzheimer's. Have you found that more people, you know, given that, want to be more involved in preventative programs like LEAP, you know, because of what we're talking about here? Yeah, definitely. Um, we, We really believe that it's critical to um, focus on prevention. Some studies suggest that um, if if we focus on prevention, you know, across the population, we could reduce prevalence by about fifty uh, percent. Uh, so that w- that would be really huge. But of course, people are are getting more and more interested in improving their health since we don't have you know, medications that can cure Alzheimer's yet, hopefully soon though. So you're saying if we take these preventative steps that maybe we could reduce the Alzheimer's uh, number of folks with Alzheimer's by half going forward? Some studies suggest that, yeah. Um, We definitely, you know, have a long way to go there. But yes, if we could, um, it depends on on how you look at it. Um, Some studies suggest if we could delay onset by five years. So, you know, change our lifestyle to to push onset back by five years. If everybody did that, then then theoretically 50% fewer people would ever develop Alzheimer's. Wow. Well, your program, LEAP, offers free online courses like the Brain Health Bootcamp. Give us an mm-hmm. overview of what these courses uh, typically look like. Yeah. So all of our courses are completely free and available online. And Brain Health Bootcamp is six weeks long, and we cover each of those six major categories that I mentioned earlier. We spend roughly a week on each category. We have uh, live Q&A time, live Zoom sessions, there are videos, lots of free downloads and resources. And then we also have our Mediterranean diet course, which is actually the most popular one. And that one is four weeks long. And we really focus on nutrition and how that can improve our brain health. Why do you think we do a bit of a deeper dive there? Why do you think that one's the most popular? People seem to be really interested in nutrition. I also think it it's a more controversial topic 
just in general. And so there are a lot of questions about it and there's a lot of confusion about nutrition. So um, I think that's partially why it, it tends to be so popular is people are really looking to understand it better. I'm also guessing that most of your participants are mostly older adults, you know, because Alzheimer's typically affects people over the age of 65, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, for the most part, most participants are, are older adults, but we definitely have a variety of ages. And yes, it does mostly affect older adults, um, but it can it can happen earlier too. Hmm. LEAP is all about practical strategies. What can it look like to implement those strategies into your day-to-day -day life? W what can you tell us about that? So, you know, a whole bunch of things are important, but think about things like trying to get regular gentle movement throughout the day. So minimizing sedentary time, that could look like setting an alarm on your phone to get up every hour and walk around for a couple of minutes. That could look like, you know, walking the dog once or twice a day, um, getting regular exercise, especially aerobic and strength training. So trying to fit that, that workout in, even if it's a short one, trying to eat whole foods focused diet with lots of fruits and veggies, plenty of lean protein. We want a low glycemic diet. So we don't want to eat a ton of sugar. We want to have balanced carbs that support healthy blood sugar regulation, trying to manage our stress take a moment to relax when we're stressed and make sure we get a good night's sleep, go to bed at the same time every night, stay connected to our friends and keep our brains active, our minds active. Those are all very, very quick overview of some things that we can do. You know, I bet there are some people listening to this who are thinking, you know, you, t you talk about modifying diet, you talk about adding exercise and they're thinking to themselves, you know, girl, I'm busy. I got a lot of stuff going on in my life. Don't have time to mm -hmm. make all these adjustments. So I'm mm -hmm. wondering if there are some micro changes that maybe you can make or some smaller steps you can take to begin to move in the right direction here. Yeah, absolutely. And that is something that we talk about a lot in our courses. I think it's very important to take, you know, make bite-sized changes and take small steps, not only so that we have more success in the long run, but so that we can um, not feel overwhelmed. So some examples of really small things would be, uh, like I mentioned earlier, setting an alarm on your phone, get up whenever the alarm goes up, walk around for two minutes or something like that. That could be really quick. Uh, you could also focus on adding in a few healthy foods. So blueberries, for example, or broccoli, for example, instead of overhauling your whole diet, just, you know, buy some blueberries and try to eat more of those throughout the week and just gradually sprinkle in some more of those healthy changes. A really short deep breathing exercise once a day, you know, 60 seconds long, things like that can be impactful. Why do you advocate as much as you do for the Mediterranean diet in your program materials? The Mediterranean diet is one of the most well-studied uh, eating patterns that we have for all areas of health, um, but particularly for Alzheimer's. And it's been shown to reduce risk of Alzheimer's. It can slow decline. It can uh, slow progression of Alzheimer's. So lots of, of benefits with that. We teach sort of a modified version of the Mediterranean diet that's very similar to the MIND diet. So if you've ever heard of the MIND diet, that's another one that's recommended for Alzheimer's prevention. Lots of great research on that one as well. And ours is kind of a little bit of a hybrid. So we really incorporate, you know, all of the latest research on nutrition and lifestyle in general to, to give our participants the best resources. In broad terms, what is the Mediterranean diet? 
So the Mediterranean diet focuses on whole foods. Um, it is it originates from you know the area surrounding the Mediterranean Sea. So it's kind of based on that cuisine, but we don't necessarily have to eat Mediterranean cuisine to follow a Mediterranean diet. So lots of fruits and vegetables, whole grains, legumes, lean protein, dairy, lots of fish and olive oil. So plenty of healthy fats. Those are just you know, a few of the main things to think about. What are some steps the average person can take to incorporate the Mediterranean diet into their daily eating habits? What would you recommend? So one little rule of thumb that I teach everybody in my classes is to aim for fat, fiber, and protein at every meal and snack. And if you do that, it helps to promote um, balanced blood sugar. It helps to make sure that you're getting more nutrients in and helps to make sure that your your meals are more balanced in general. So if you can just keep that little little hint in the back of your mind of fat, fiber, and protein at every meal and snack, that's a really easy first step. So an example of that would be nuts, for example, Mm -hmm. contain fat, fiber, and protein. Veggies and hummus contain fat, fiber, and protein. So just Mm. a couple examples. Well, Leap also offers, I thought this was so interesting, weekly group coaching calls, Mm pre-recorded video lessons, Zoom presentations, and dietitian Q&As. What's the next Mm -hmm. step as far as making this information accessible to people who need it? Yeah. So if you want to learn more about our program and sign up, you can visit our website at kubrainhealth.org slash leap. That's where you can find out about our upcoming classes. We also have a booklet that's free where you can get a, you know, a free download and access much of the information that I um, have been sharing here this morning and learn more about that. And that is at kuadrc.org slash steps. Hmm. Um, so those are both both good places to kind of get the next next steps for information. Rachel, do most people participate in, you know, like one LEAP program and then apply it on their own? Or do they keep coming back over and over again? Uh, we have both. We do have a lot of people who come back over and over again. We're always updating the information. So there's a little bit new every time. But we have what we call our alumni program, which is a really fun, smaller group of people who, after they complete one of our main courses, Brain Health Bootcamp, they stick around and we meet every week and we've, you know, all become friends and we chat and we do Q&A. We do group coaching and help with goal setting. We introduce new topics and have special presentations, guest speakers. So after people complete the primary programs, they have the opportunity to connect more with us and keep learning and keep keep working on their lifestyle in the alumni program too. Can you give us that uh, a, a website again if people want to connect with LEAP? Yeah, it is kubrainhealth.com slash LEAP. Okay, sounds great. That's Rachel Sandoval, a, re- a registered dietitian, nutritionist, and the LEAP program manager. Thanks for taking time with us today on this LEAP day. I sure appreciate it. Thank you. And welcome back. This is Up to Date on KCUR 89.3. Next up, we've got a riveting conversation with the Kansas City Zoo. Two out of every five amphibian creatures is threatened with extinction, but the zoo is doing its part to rectify this. The Wyoming toad population, get it? They do a lot of leaping as we celebrate this leap day. And these toads nearly went extinct back in the 1990s due to habitat decline 
and pesticides. They're now being buoyed by the breeding and reintroduction efforts of zoos across the country, including the one here in Kansas City. Kansas City Zoo CEO Sean Putney is here to tell us more about amphibian conservation and his work as a program coordinator for the preservation of those Wyoming toads. Sean, welcome back. Good to have you again. Happy Leap Day to you. Good morning. Thanks for having us on. So why are so many amphibian species threatened with extinction these days? Yeah, it's it's probably just like everything else out there. It's more than one answer, but amphibians, because of the the way that they they live their life and their their skin is so susceptible that they they can have problems with diseases uh, chytrid fungus in particular is one that has worked its way around the world um, but changes in climate changes in temperatures pollution all have an effect on amphibians around the world and and probably uh, a reason why they are the first ones to go and, and have issues with the, the problems. So they're more sensitive to some of the issues that are facing our planet than maybe other animals are. Do I have that right? Yeah, correct. And and because of the fact that they oftentimes live around water, they're actually good indicators of, of how the environment is, not only for themselves, but for us too. So if you're one a person out there that says, well, what does the Wyoming toad mean for me? Well, they could be showing you that the, the environment that you live in isn't healthy either. Is there a reason why the zoo is focusing on Wyoming toads? I mean, obviously, they're not native to the Midwest. What made the zoo participate in this specific conservation effort? Well, as you said earlier, uh, back in the 80s, uh, the last of the, the Wyoming toads in the wild were brought in to be taken care of by humans because there are only about 17 of them left. 17? Right. Wow. So in, back in 2008, the aquarium and zoos uh, around the nation declared it the year of the frog. And we wanted to be a part of it. And we looked for a program that wasn't too far away. So our participation uh, could be a little bit easier. Wyoming's only about a 10-hour drive from Kansas City. And it, it's flourished ever since. We've been involved for the last 15 years. Hard to believe it's been 15 years. But the crisis isn't over. Uh, we've put back in not just the Kansas City Zoo, but all the zoos and aquariums that are in the program have put over 200,000 animals back into the wild. But they are still technically, if you went to the Fish and Wildlife Service, they're still declared extinct in the wild. So you said at one point there were 17 Wyoming toads still left. How many today? Well, it varies from year to year, uh, but usually when we go back out uh, to Wyoming every year in the beginning of August, uh, we typically are finding a, a few hundred toads that are out there uh, of various ages, and uh, we've been doing that for the last 15 years. The, the problem is once an animal population gets to the point so low, they have a hard time getting over the hump and, and there's still predation going on. There, there's still disease. So you don't really know what the point is where you can say that they can self-sustain. How many other zoos are you collaborating with on this? Uh, we have seven right now. So it's a small group, but a mighty group. And we have two U.S. Fish and Wildlife facilities as well. So Cheyenne Mountain Zoo, the Omaha Zoo, the Como Zoo up in St. Paul, uh, Detroit, the National Mississippi River Museum, and our newest partner is uh, up in Des Moines. And your point is that even though the numbers are a lot better than they were, they're not enough that you guys can all walk away and say we're in good shape now. Right. Uh, it is a priority by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife. This is a, an animal, if you're wondering, well, why do you care about the toads? They used to be 
the largest number of vertebrates in the Laramie Valley. And hmm. to think about them not being there anymore is, is devastating to uh, an ecosystem. What's special about these creatures in particular here, Sean? I mean, is there anything that differentiates them from the average toad that you might find you know, here in Kansas or, or Missouri? Actually, no, not a whole lot. Uh, in fact, if you looked at them side by side with uh, an American toad, most people wouldn't be able to tell them apart. But the reality is those are the, the toads that are found up in Wyoming. And you're taking a, a, a very important part of that ecosystem out once they go extinct. So uh, the real question is what happens to the rest of the ecosystem when uh, something else gets removed from it. And go back, how long does it typically take to, to get a species back on its feet again? Well, decades, I guess. Yes. There are, the good thing is, Steve, that there are success stories. The, the gray whale, the, the gray wolf, American alligators, bald eagle, all of those right. are success stories. So it just has to be, uh, it can't be just a governmental uh, uh, push. It has to be local communities. Everybody has to be involved uh, with saving that, that species. You know, the zoo got its first uh, group of Wyoming toads in 2009. You've been involved with this for over a decade now. What's changed since the program first started? Well, I'll tell you the most important change to me, Steve, is that in, in Laramie altogether, when we used to go up there, when I first started, people would say, well, don't say who you're with. Don't say that you're here for the toads. So that that change, uh, the attitude from the people in Wyoming of, well, we don't want government intervention on our lands. Uh, the thought was, well, if you find a toad on my land, then maybe the government will take it away. And so there's been a progression of education and huh. uh, the, the folks that live up in the Laramie Valley now actually embrace it. And you can go into Laramie. There's <laughs> Laramie beer and Laramie or, uh, Wyoming toad beer. Wyoming toad wine. Uh, they have cards. So they're embracing the fact that, they, hey, this is our toad. We want to fight for it. So what are the challenges and successes of the breeding and reintroduction program from your your vantage point here, Sean? It, it's really about numbers. Uh, like I said before, we've, we've put in over 200,000 tadpoles and toadlets back into the wild. But even when we go up to, to Laramie, it depends on the year. Sometimes uh, we'll find a few dozen animals. Uh, sometimes we'll find a few hundred. There have been times early on quite devastating uh, to our, our ego and psyche that we went up there and found zero. Wow. So that you go every year we go on a 10 hour trip, we drive up there and we're quite psyched up to, to go out into the wild and see these animals and to not find any is, is pretty devastating. But, but it is on the rise that hasn't happened recently. But I don't know what that tipping point is where we can finally say that they're recovered. So are you guys reintroducing some of the toads that you've worked with here in Kansas City and taking them back out to Wyoming? Yeah, we are. In fact, we just had a call two days ago with the rest of the group. We, we put them through an unnatural hibernation. In, in the wild, they might start hibernating in September and not come out of it until uh, May. So that's a long, very long time to go without food and and uh, we do not do that in human care. It's, it's uh, about a month and a half where they go through a, a, a brief hibernation, which then triggers them to go into a, a mating scenario. Uh, we do have pairs genetically, even though they're, typically, they're really all related because they, I told you they all came from 17 animals. But we, when we're breeding them, we try to make sure that they're as, as distantly related as we possibly can. And then the offspring from that 
Some of them are held back for the breeding population. The rest of them are shipped out to be released into the wild. How many do you have at any one time here in Kansas City? Oh, we can have anywhere from 20 to 40. But but uh, when we're breeding, like last year was our best year ever. We had over 5,000 tadpoles that we sent back to the wild. Wow, wow. And you know, these animals then, when they go back into the wild, do they resume their hibernating uh, you know, tendencies and... Well, that yes, uh, there is. They do have that that innate sense of it's getting cold. Yeah. I need to go down in a burrow and and hide from the the snow. Uh, so yes, but not as much as we would, we'd hope. Finding them uh, the following year. How can listeners who might be concerned about this uh, all of this get involved in protecting species like the Wyoming toads? Well, certainly supporting the zoo and our conservation efforts. You can go online and donate directly to conservation. Uh, for the zoo and uh, Wyoming toads in particular. Appreciate the help. Okay, that's Kansas City Zoo CEO Sean Putney. Sean, thanks for coming in. Again, happy Leap Day. Thank you, you too. Next up on our Leap Day coverage, we're diving into the history of one of the Country Club Plaza's most whimsical residents, the Boy and Frog Fountain. Again, there's this idea that we're talking about things that leap on this Leap Day. was first installed in the Country Club Plaza in 1929. It features a naked toddler playing in the water that's shooting out of a frog's mouth. A disgruntled fawn uh, riding a dolphin holds up the basin, so clearly there's a lot going on here. The owner and operator of the Kansas City Fountain Tours, Lori Ventura, is here with us for today's final Leap Day segment to tell us more about the boy and the frog. And Lori, happy Leap Day to you. Thanks for coming in today. Thanks so much, Steve. I'm so excited to be here. I'm honored. Kansas City has the second most fountains in the world after Rome. You're the expert here. Why does Kansas City have so many fountains anyway? Oh, goodness. Uh, Well, we do have over 200 working fountains, and it all started back in the City Beautiful movement. Mm. Um, City Beautiful Movement was back in the late 1800s, early 20s, I would say. And uh, in fact, this is how we got uh, Union Station Mm -hmm. was part of that. But uh, part of that was George Kessler's plan for uh, beautifying our city and connecting them with parks and boulevards. And fountains was seen and as a way to do that. And fountains was the way to do that, yes. Well, I understand that this particular fountain that we're talking about here on the plaza was one of the first installed back in the day. Walk us through its history. What do you know about it? Sure. So it is actually the second longest resident on the plaza, and it has been on the plaza since 1929. Originally, it was one block north of where it is right now. Right now, it's on the northwest corner of Central and Nichols, which if you think about the sister city's uh, flag bridge, that is one block north of that. Originally, it was one block even further north of that. And then with the uh, parking garage installation right there by Topsy's Mm -hmm. Popcorn, Mm -hmm. um, they moved the little guy down to where he currently is. And that happened... uh, Around 1960. How popular is this particular statue? (laughs) Oh, it definitely has brought a lot of smiles and joys. One of my tours is... And quizzical looks probably, too. Oh, my goodness. I've had uh, little kids that have been on a tour that will stop and their eyes get big as saucers. Like, what is going on here? Yeah, because, you know, quite (laughs) frankly, it's a little naked boy, you know, Mm -hmm. with... Some of his anatomy showing, well, all of his anatomy, you know, guests will walk up and just laugh and and smile at him and just really 
It's one of the most spent time on my tours where people want to walk all around it, get down, crouch down, because there is a little fawn creature that's underneath Uh that adds a beautiful uh, whimsy uh, because this fawn is literally, some say he's grimacing because he's holding all the Uh weight of the basin up. And some say he's pouting because the little boy and the frog are playing and he's doing all the work. Do you have a theory on why it looks so much like the little boy is, I guess to be blunt here, is is peeing into the frog's mouth? Or do you think that this idea didn't occur to the sculptor? Well, so the sculptor, Raffaele Romanelli, Mm -hmm. uh, which is referenced in one of J.C. Nichols' developments, Romanelli Gardens, I think he had a great sense of humor because... <laughs> I think that's um, probably the case. Yeah, because back in the day, uh, the Renaissance, most European art was the stream, if you will, was going from the boy to whatever object. And mm-hmm. what was so great about this one, when Chairman Taylor found it and decided to bring it back to Kansas City, was that it was reversed. reversed, and so it adds an extra charm. You're referring to the former chairman of the board for the J.C. Nichols Company, John C. Taylor, who brought this thing over. I heard the frog was kidnapped off the fountain back in 2021. How did that happen? You know, I don't know that story, but, but I something will something happened. Yes, yeah, something happened. So in February of 2021, you know, when the world was kind of crazy at that time, yeah, you know, the frog went missing in February. And it suddenly reappeared back in, I believe it was June of 2021. However, his right front paw or leg was missing. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times guests will ask me, well, where's the paw? And, I'm, and I tell them the story. Wow. So that is not the only story of, of something happening to this suite. Well, you'll have to come back and tell us more about that some other time. That's Lori Ventura. She's the owner and operator of Kansas City Fountain Tours, who knows all of this history. Thanks for coming in on the sleep day and telling us all about it, Lori. Appreciate it. Thank you, Steve. Up to Date is a production of KCUR 89.3. The program is produced by Zach Wilson, Elizabeth Ruiz, Claudia Brancart, and Hallie Jackson. Our interns are Lauren Texter and Gabby Martinez. Paul Nakatura works our board. The theme music was composed by the great Bobby Watson. I'm Steve Kraske. Thanks for listening.